we are just starting chapter 39. Now, chapter 39 is very abstract, very mystical, very deep. We're going to be talking about worlds. We'll be talking about angels. And these are thrilling ideas, but they're not just thrilling, they're practical. Any idea that appears in Tanya means it's practical. This is the Alter Rebbe's philosophy in Tanya. This is the Alter Rebbe's philosophy in life. While the Alter Rebbe was still a student, he was once traveling to his teacher, the Magad of Mezrich. His teacher, the Magad of Mezrich, was a student of the Baal Shem Tov. On the way over to his teacher, the Magad of Mezrich, the Alter Rebbe stopped on the way by a colleague of his teachers, a fellow student of the Baal Shem Tov, Rev Pinchas Karitzer. Rabbi Pinchas from Karitz. Rabbi Pinchas, meeting the Alter Rebbe, saw his tremendous gifts and wanted him to become his student. And that night, Rabbi Pinchas shared deep mystical secrets with the Alter Rebbe, trying to capture him, capture his heart and mind, capture his soul in a beautiful way, holy capture. And the Alter Rebbe thanked him for those secrets. These were secrets of the angels that he shared. And he said, everything that you shared with me is so deep and so special and so sweet, a joy. But what a Jew has to know is the oneness of Hashem. That there's nothing else besides him. The higher level of unity, the lower level of unity. And this we learn in Mezrich by his teacher, the Magad of Mezrich. And he traveled on to his teacher. And that is it. Everything about Tani is practical. If we're learning about angels, it means it applies to us and it has actual relevance in our lives and how we serve Hashem. So let's go back to what we finished off with last chapter. We were talking about two levels of soul within a mitzvah. These are the kavana, the intention that people have when they do a mitzvah. It could either be on the level of a human being or it could be the level of the soul of an animal. What was the level of the soul of the human being? This is someone who has a gift. He has the gift of meditating and understanding so deeply that these deep awarenesses brings about, gives birth to true emotions. It's not just that they understand and they have intellectual thrill, but this person is able to understand and internalize to such a great degree that they actually give birth to new emotions. So what this looks like is somebody meditates upon the greatness of Hashem and he's overcome by awe of him and he is full of love for him. And out of this space, he runs to do a mitzvah. But like the Alter Rebbe noted last chapter, not everybody has that capacity of creating new emotions. For some people, it's really a challenge to understand something so deeply until an actual new emotion is born because of it. And so a person has another route. Instead of creating new emotions by meditation, what they have to do is they have to become aware of their innate nature, what they already have. Every single Jewish person is deeply connected to Hashem by virtue of their divine soul, which is actually a part of him. Hashem is the essence of a Jew. And a Jew never wants to be separated from Hashem. 
And because a Jew never wants to be separated from Hashem, that if God, if God forbid he is faced with a test of turning his back on Hashem, a Jew would just die rather than be separated from him. Realizing this, a Jew doesn't have to create new love for Hashem. They just have to remember the love that they already had. They remember the fact that they would have given up their life so as not to separate. They become in tune to the fact that a mitzvah causes closeness and attachment. And just like they would give up life so as not to break the attachment, they're going to do whatever they can to enhance the attachment. And this becomes the soul of their mitzvah, not the soul on the level of a human being who has freedom of choice and create new emotions by intellect. This is the soul on the level of an animal who also has emotions, emotions of love, emotions of fear, but the emotions of the animal are instinctive. He doesn't create those emotions. That's the way he is created by his nature. He loves certain things. He acts a certain way. He's afraid of other things because that's the way he was programmed. Okay, so let's look at the cover page of Tanya. Right there on the cover page of Tanya, the Alter Rebbe wrote that he's writing this work in order to explain one verse in the whole Torah. This verse is Moshe Rabbeinu is speaking to the Jewish people and he says to them, For this matter is very near to you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. And the Alter Rebbe said, I'm here to explain to you how it is really indeed. This Torah is very near to every single Jewish person that they can keep the Torah, not just in behavior, not just in speech, but in their heart. It is very much within the reach of every Jewish person to serve Hashem with the feelings of their heart. Well, for somebody who is incapable of creating new love, new fear in their heart, they can only rely on the natural instinctive emotions that they have. Does this apply? Maybe this is only true of somebody who is able to become on fire with love for Hashem by meditation, emotions that they've created. But what if somebody is limited in their power of da'as? What if they're limited in their power of internalization so that they cannot create anything new? All they can do is just remember instinctive emotions. Then their level is on the soul. Their kavana is on the level of the soul of an animal. And that might make a person feel like it's not within my reach. I'm excluded from this. And this is exactly what the Alter Rebbe comes to negate in this chapter. No way. The Torah is near to every single Jewish person, whether or not they can create new feelings in their heart. The Alter Rebbe now points us to sublime, spiritual, holy, lofty beings who serve Hashem by instinct. These are the angels. Because you look at this chapter, you can think, angels, what does that have to do with the book of the Benoni, the book of the everyday man? The Alter Rebbe called the Tanya Sefer Shel Benonim, the book of the intermediate man, the, the average person. What do angels have to do with us average people? The Rebbe explains two things. The Rebbe says, first of all, this points out that a person who does indeed serve Hashem with intellectual meditation so that he creates new feelings in his heart or even new feelings in his mind, actually. The ultimate way of creating new emotions is in the heart. But a person can also create new emotions that are in the mind and in the recesses of the heart. A person who is able to create new emotions on the level of the human soul is beyond the angels. And another thing we learn from 
visiting all this about the angels is that if somebody cannot create new emotions, you would think their service is not that good. It's just as powerful, just as perfect, and in a certain way, even more powerful and perfect than the service of the angels. Okay, chapter 39. In the previous chapter, the altar of explained why our sages compare the performance of a mitzvah to a body and one's kavana in performing the mitzvah to a soul. He stated that kavana can be classified into two categories, analogous to the two classes of creatures which possess a soul, animals and man. The higher level of kavana is that created by an intellectual appreciation of godliness. Upon contemplating God's greatness, a love and fear of him is born in one's heart, which translates into a desire to cleave to him. This desire, in turn, motivates one to fulfill the Torah and mitzvot, since they bind him to God. And this motivation is the kavana in his fulfillment of Torah and mitzvot. Such kavana, born of reason and produced by one's own volition, is analogous to the soul of man, the intelligent being who determines his actions by choice. The lower level of kavana is that which stems from an arousal of the soul's natural, instinctive love and fear of God. Such kavana is comparable to the soul of the animal, which is ruled by its natural instinct. The Altar Rebbe now opens chapter 39 by stating that for this reason, the angels who fear and love God by their very nature are metaphorically called animals. For this reason, too, the angels are called chayes, beasts, and behemoths, animals, as it is written. And an angel with the face of a lion is to the right of the divine chariot, and the face of an ox is on the left. So now we can see like this. Animals are instinctive. And their love and fear is instinctive. And therefore, a person who has kavana just with instinctive love, is his kavana is analogous to the soul of the animal. Now that we understand that it's instinct that makes it an animal, we can understand something else of the vision of the prophet Yechaskel. The prophet Yechaskel describes his vision of the holy chariot, and he describes faces of animals. He describes the face of an ox, the face of a lion, now, of course, as we've visited in class before, angels have no faces and certainly not the face of an ox or not the face of a lion. So why are they called an ox or a lion? And that's because we are limited to the confines of our world. When somebody was exposed to higher realms, they have no way to articulate what they saw in accurate language. If they were going to describe what they saw, in the language that applies to what they actually saw, we in the physical world would not be able to understand a thing that they said because it does not apply to our experience. We can only understand things that apply to our own experience. So when a human being is describing an angel with the face of an ox, this is what best captures the essence of what he saw. He cannot translated in any other way besides our physical world, because this is the framework to which we are limited. There's a cute anecdote about a rabbi who was teaching Hasidus in English to a group of students. And this was quite the novel idea so many years ago, you know, teaching Hasidic philosophy in English sounded like crazy or bizarre. So he walks in on his shear, he hears him teaching in English, 
And he says to him in Yiddish, Un wie sagt man Atzilus in English? And how do you say Atzilus in English? Atzilus is the highest of these spiritual worlds. And the teacher turns back and responds, Un wie sagt man das in Yiddish? And how do you say it in Yiddish? Is there a way to translate Atzilus? When it comes to these deep spiritual mystical concepts, the key that we're trying to find over here is not simply a translation. It's about the way to convey an idea. We're trying to reach into realms way above us and somehow come to describe it. We are forced to use the language of our world because that's the only language that we have and that's the only language that's meaningful to us in the physical world. If we were just going to describe it with anything else, we wouldn't be able to relate or understand. So we're looking at these instinctive beings in higher spiritual realms. We know what instinctive being looks like, beings look like in our world. They're animals. But there, is instinctive, there are instinctive beings in higher worlds, and they are angels. And for this reason, they are called by the face of an ox and the face of a lion. It describes a spiritual essence. Now, interestingly enough, just later in the prophecy, Yechaskel describes these angels by the term chayot, which means beasts. So you would wonder why the Alter Rebbe, instead of saying, you know, the Navi calls them beasts, instead he specifies and says the face of an ox and the face of a lion. Why doesn't he just say chayot, beasts? And the reason for that is because not everybody understands the simple translation of chayot as being animals. The Mitsudais explains that when you call them chayot, you mean living beings, which chayot means living beings, or how the Rambam describes the angels in the higher realms. He says, Hamalachim enam guf ela The angels do not possess bodies or corporeal being, but rather are forms which are separate from each other. Umahu what is meant by the prophet's statement that they saw an angel of fire or with wings? All these are prophetic visions and parables. The Rambam is very clear to help us understand angels are not physical beings. And when he's, he describes these angels, he says, And all these spiritual forms are alive. They recognize and know their creator. So he calls these spiritual beings, these angels, he says they are chayim, they are alive. So this is the reason why the Alter Rebbe says the face of an ox, the face of a lion. So we know that the Navi is describing them, the prophet is describing them literally by the terms of animals. So just as the difference between the human and the animal in this world is that the human being possesses intelligence and freedom to choose, that's also the difference between the human being and the angel. And that's what the Alter Rebbe now goes on to describe. For they have no freedom of choice between good and evil, as man has. And their fear and love of God is natural to them. They need not create fear and love of God through intellectual contemplation of God's greatness, as is written in Raya Mehemna Parshas Pinchas, this is a section of the Zohar, because their fear and love of God are natural and instinctive to them. They are compared to animals. 
So these angels are natural beings. They have only one dimension, and that's their emotion. They may be an angel of love. They may be an angel of fear. They have one mode of operation, and that's the only way they know and the only way they can express themselves. Very interestingly, at the conclusion of last chapter, when the Alter Rebbe describes the natural emotions of a Jew, he says, because they are an inheritance to us from our forefathers. But in this chapter over here, when he describes the natural emotions of the angel, he says their love and their fear, he tivis lahem. Their love and their fear, he tivis lahem. Their fear and their love is, in the singular form, natural to them. Because us, we who have freedom of choice, can have either love or fear. Angels can only have one. Whatever shade that they are created with, that's the only shade they have, that's the only way they know, and that's the only way they can operate. It doesn't mean that these angels have no intelligence. Actually, quite the contrary. Their intelligence is immense. As the Ramam describes in Hilchas Yisrael de HaTayra, he says, All these spiritual forms are alive. They recognize and know the Creator with very immense knowledge. The reason why they are considered instinctive is because whatever knowledge that they have serves one purpose, to augment their own nature. They can only see things through one valence. So if they, whatever concept they get of Hashem doesn't create new emotions for them. We, physical human beings on this earth, who are much more limited in our knowledge of Hashem, so vastly limited in our knowledge from Hashem, much greater than the angels. But whatever we understand can produce a different kind of emotion. The angels have tremendous knowledge of Hashem but they cannot create any new emotion based on what they understand. Whatever they understand just serves to augment the emotion that they already have. So if they're an angel of love, their love will become much more powerful. If they're an angel of fear, their fear will become much more immense. They cannot create anything new. They are simply instinctive beings. The Rambam calls them in Mare Nevuchim, the guide for the perplexed, Schalim Nivdalim, separate intelligences, separate intellects. And what does that mean? It's because they're spiritual beings. So how do you count physical things? So you have a bunch of pencils on your table and you'll go one, two, three, four, five, six. What makes them six? What makes them six is there are six different physical things that take up six different places. And where this one pencil is, the next pencil cannot be. But how do you count spiritual concepts? If I'm thinking... One plus one is two. And at the same time, you're thinking one plus one is two. How many of these concepts are there? There's just one. We're thinking of the same concept. What gives number to spiritual concepts or spiritual beings is their difference in character, in shade, or quality. So these camps of angels of love, let's say, each angel is going to have a different hue of love. That's when it's going to differentiate it from another angel. It's not physical, it doesn't take up dimension or space, it's spiritual and it has a unique spiritual quality that differentiates it from another angel. 
So knowing this, that angels are instinctive beings and only serve Hashem with natural love, whatever, or natural fear, whatever they were created with, this makes them very different than people who serve Hashem with freedom of choice. Therefore, tzaddikim are on a higher level than them, the angels. The abode of the souls of tzaddikim is in the world of Berea, creation, whereas the abode of the angels is in the world of Yetzirah, formation. So here the Alter Rebbe is now speaking about four different worlds. We talked about many times in Tanya, Seder Heshtalshalos, which is the chain-like order of the descent of the worlds. Hashem is beyond all the worlds. But in the way that he comes to create worlds, he has created from himself four worlds, the highest of which is the world of Atzilus. Atzilus means emanation. It means nearness. It's not really a world. It's the first place where Hashem expresses himself in the 10 supernal sefirot. He gives some type of form or limitation to his divine powers to then create the worlds. So in this highest world of Atzilus, there's really nothing else besides Hashem. It is the first place where he defines 10 sefirot with which to conduct the worlds. The world below that is the world of Berea. The world of Berea is the world of intellect. That's a world where everything about that world is permeated with divine intellect. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then moving lower is the world of Yetzirah. This is the world of emotion. And everything in this world, the energy of that world, is all about emotions for the divine. And the lowest of the worlds is the world of, of Asiya. That's our world. There is a spiritual Asiya and there's also the physical Asiya, which we live in. And actually, we live in both worlds, physical and spiritual. A human being doesn't just have a body. They have a soul. They relate to ideas. Even if they're a very base, coarse human being who never develops their spirituality, every human being has spirituality. They are in a world of ideas. They have thoughts. They have feelings. That's already a spiritual realm of the human being. And this lowest world of Asiya is the world of Malchus, which is sovereignty. And the main way in which we relate to Hashem is by accepting his sovereignty in this world and doing things because that's what he told us to do. And that might seem like a very basic and almost low level of functioning, but actually it is a very high level of functioning. Even if someone, you know, can't get higher than that, just the simplicity of doing something because Hashem said so has a certain beauty, purity, and simplicity beyond people who are able to function at a higher level. The Altarabba told a story to his grandchildren about an experience he had while he was still a student. He was traveling home from his teacher, the Magad of Mezrich, and it was freezing cold outside, and his legs were so frozen that he couldn't walk. So the coachman had to carry him into an inn that they found on the way. And the innkeeper rubbed his legs with snow and spirits till he brought life back into them. He was able to move again. And he asked the man, he was a Jewish man, and he said, wow, you live so far from any Jewish civilization. How do you do it? 
Like, where do you go for a minion? And he said, oh, you know, I've been living in this inn for 50 years now. It brings me a wonderful living. Unfortunately, we're very far away from any Jewish community. So, you know, we pray over here, my family, my sons and I, we pray, but without a minion. And then once a year for the high holidays, we close the inn for two weeks. We travel, I don't know how many miles from here. We stay with the Jewish community. And then, you know, we, we part of the minion, we hear Kriyasa Taira. And the altar said, what? You live so far away from a community for all these years, 50 years? You're not hearing the public reading of the Torah. You're not davening with a minion. How could a Jew live like that? And so he said, well, what am I going to do in the next town? If I go move in with the Jews of the next town, how am I going to make a living? I make such a good living over here. And the altar said, how many families live in the next town? And he said, a hundred families. He said, and Hashem provides for them? And he said, yeah. He said, do you think Hashem could provide for one more? And then the altar went to his room. He started to get settled. And about an hour later, he hears a whole commotion, hustle and bustle. And he looks out the window and the innkeeper and his sons are loading wagons with furniture and supplies. They're getting their wives and children settled in the wagons. And he comes outside and he said, what happened? He goes, we're leaving here. We're moving. It's just as you said. If God could provide for a hundred families, he could provide with one more. We want to be part of a minion and we want to hear Torah reading. And the altar told his grandson, look at the purity of this simple Jew from Volyan. It was in Ukraine. 50 years he made a good living. And just because a young student asked him, what's with your Kaddish and Barhu? What's with your minion? What's with your Torah reading? He decided he's going to change. And within an hour, without knowing what's going to be, he loaded up his family from his residence of 50 years in order to serve Hashem, just out of accepting the yoke of heaven. So how, how powerful is that? Pretty powerful. And that's the uh, energy in our world. If we tap into it, you know, how blessed we could be if we can just serve at that level. So there's these four worlds and the angels are primarily in the world of Yetzirah, as we will see, which is the world of emotions. But tzaddikim, people who have served Hashem in this world with love and fear created by their intellect are beyond the angels. They are in the world of Yetzirah, the world of intellect. So now the altar is going to qualify what he said, because he just said, the souls of the righteous are in the world of Berea. The souls of the angels are in the world of Yetzirah. And then he brings a note to say, that's the ordinary case, but there's extraordinary. There's the extraordinary, and we're going to make note of that. So here's the note. V'hainu b'stam alachem. This is only so in the case of ordinary angels. Aval yesh malachem el yainim ba'ilam habriya sh'avaydasam b'dechilu u'rechimu sechliyam. There are, however, higher angels in the world of Bria whose service of God is with intelligent love and fear. So most angels are emotional beings. However, there are angels who are higher than that, who are intellectual beings. Or we can even say that they're not intellectual beings, the way Rabbi Steinsaltz points out in a note, based on a discourse of the previous Rebbe. They themselves are intellect. So most angels are something of emotion. They are a shade of emotion. They are a character of emotion. Their space 
is the world of Yetzirah. But there are angels higher than that, extraordinary angels. These angels are angels of intellect, and they indeed exist in the same world as righteous people in the world of Berea, the world of intellect. It is written so in Raya Mahemna, Ibid, that there are two kinds of holy chayot, instinctive and intelligent, meaning those who love, whose love and fear are instinctive and those who create love and fear intellectually, as is also written in Eitz Chaim. So here it is. The altar references the Zaihar, and the Zaihar speaks of two kinds of angels. The Zaihar says, there are instinctive angels. Then it says, goes on to elaborate. And then it says, there are, and there are intellectual angels that surround the throne. So when we say the th- throne, we're talking about the heavenly throne, as it were. And the world of the heavenly throne is the world of intellect, which is the world of Bria. And clearly the Zohar says that there are angels in, that's around the throne, which means that there are angels that exist in the world of Bria. So we said that angels too are called animals because they serve Hashem with instinct. And therefore, these emotional angels are in the world of Yetzirah. Then the Altarab is now qualifying and anyone saying, not only are there angels in the world of Yetzirah, there are also angels in the world of Berea. They serve Hashem with intellect. Guess what? These angels too are called chayot. They're also called beasts. Why? But they serve Hashem with intellect. And the bottom line is, in the final analysis of things, even though these angels who are of a higher order, who are extraordinary and serve Hashem with intellect, so they can choose more than one emotion. They can sometimes have love. They can sometimes have fear. Nevertheless, they do not have freedom of choice. Whatever they will understand will lead them to an emotion towards Hashem only. So they are on a higher level and they can have sometimes an emotion of love. Sometimes they can have emotion of fear, but they cannot choose evil. They do not have true freedom of choice. They are instinctive beings and whatever they understand will lead them with some emotion towards Hashem. So yes, they are higher angels, but they are not higher than people who serve Hashem with intellectual love and fear. Human beings are higher. Uh, Actually, human beings are greater. And that's an important distinction here. We're speaking about angels, high angels. There are angels that are high and there are angels that are higher. Are they higher than us? Absolutely, they're higher than us. Are they greater than us? No way. We are greater than the angels. We are the only beings in any world that have freedom of choice and the only being with the power or potential to truly connect essence to essence with Hashem, which we do every time we study Torah, every time we do mitzvahs on a higher level or on a lower level, whatever we're doing in that space, we actually are connecting essence to essence with Hashem. In terms of value, we are definitely greater. But in terms of spirituality, angels are definitely higher. Okay, so that was the note that yes, angels are generally in the world of Yetzirah, but there are also angels in the world of Berea. And now the Altar is going to explain the difference between the worlds of Berea and Yetzirah. 
And in order to understand this difference between these two worlds, let's understand the difference between our own intellect and emotions. So the essence of the soul is a place that we're only the soul itself as if it exists. Truly that deepest space in the soul, to the soul, nothing else exists. The soul is not affected by anything. The soul is pure and simple, if that's the right word, completely simple, undifferentiated, a unique essence that is not affected by anything outside of itself. So if any time a person is feeling overwhelmed or agitated, you can just stop for a moment and realize that there's a space within you that is not affected by anything ever. At the essence of your soul, you're just literally part of Hashem. And that essence is untouchable, untainted, always remains pure and unaffected. Now, let's look at how much of the soul's essence is present within intellect and emotions. In the case of emotions, we are affected by people and things outside of ourselves. So people or things have a power to move, excite, stir up our emotions. So in the world of emotions, somebody could either feel a strong attraction, love towards something or someone out of themselves. They can also feel some type of awe or fear or reverence towards someone or something outside of themselves. And that's going to affect what kind of emotion is produced based on that. So in this space, the soul is as if affected. If the soul is affected, it means that the soul is not present in its full power. It gives space for something other than itself to exist. Now let's look at the realm of intellect. The world of intellect, the soul is much more present because the soul, the person, the self does not need an other in order to be in that world. Whereas when it comes to emotions, in order to actively engage your emotions, there needs to be another entity. You cannot show love if there's not someone to show love to. When it comes to the world of intellect, you can sit and understand ideas without the presence of any person around you because you don't need an other in order to understand an idea. And even if you're going to say, yeah, but when you understand an idea, you're taking in a concept, you're understanding something outside of yourself, so you're getting affected. No, it's how, it's not about the concept. For example, when you're showing love, it's about showing love to the other. It's about the self, how the self absorbs this concept and now takes it in within itself. It's not about the concept. It's about how you understand the concept. In the true world of intellect, it's mostly the self that exists. And there's not room really for those outside of themselves, outside of the self. Intellect is about understanding the truth. Intellect is not about being affected by people around us or things around us. And because this is the case, in the world of intellect, the, the soul is much more present and in much greater strength. So this is how it is in the human experience. When it comes to emotions, there's space for others. When it comes to true intellect, 
only the soul as if exists? Eof, Job, writes, From my flesh I behold the divine. Which means, Kabbalistically, as Hasidus explains, that from meditating upon our human experience, we can know something about the divine. Because like we said so many times, you can't understand something if you have no way to relate to it. So we look at our own experience. We look at our own emotions. We look at our own intellect. We see that our soul is much more in its full self when it comes to the intellect. It's much more manifest in the intellect. There's not room really for anything besides the soul in the world of intellect. Whereas in the world of emotions, there's space for something else. So now we can apply it to the world of emotions or to the to the divine sifi rote, which are related to the mind, and the divine midot, which are related to the emotions. In that place where the divine midot of emotions are the, dom- the dominant force, the dominant energy, there is room, as it were, for something outside of the divine. There's room for a self or an existence besides for Hashem, which of course, objectively speaking, isn't true. But within the perception of the being, they feel themselves to be a self. However, in the realm of the divine intellect, there is no room for another existence. And a being who would be in that environment would have a nullification of self because there's no room for self. This is called in Hasidic terminology, Bittel Hayesh, which is nullification of the ego. There is a higher level of surrender than that. That's Bittel B'Metzias. That's nullification of the very existence. And that happens in the higher world of Atzilus. But we're just talking about a simple level of surrender. This is in the world of the intellect. Now, each of these worlds that we spoke about, Atzilus, Bria, Yitzira, and Asiya, has within it shining, radiates within each of these worlds, Something of the supernal, the supernal sefirot of the world of Atsilas. So the world of Atsilas is the world of Hashem's name. There's Yud and Hey and Vav and Hey. Each of these letters are connected to one or more of the ten supernal sefirot. So let's look at the first Yud of Hashem's name. The Yud is a seminal point. It is the seed of an idea. The, it, it is connected to the Sephira of Chachma. Chachma is the first of the ten Sephirot, and it is the place of Kayach Ma, the potenti- potentiality of what is. Utter wonderment, no self, just being ready to take in a concept outside of the self. This also corresponds to the world of Atsilos. Remember, there's four categories that we spoke about this at length. And these are all stemming from, the, we spoke about this at length the last chapter in chapter 38. Everything in this world, there's so much of this world that's divided into four. And that's because these four letters of Hashem's name are the channels that pump divine energy into everything of this world. So the way it plays out in the four worlds is that the Yud, the first letter of Hashem's name, corresponds to the Sephira of Chachma. And it corresponds to the world of Atsilas. And that's the dominant energy in the world of Atsilas. Utter nullification to the divine. It's Chachma, the potentiality of what is. It's the seminal point that has not yet been fleshed out. And it's total surrender to the divine. The next letter of Hashem's name 
is the letter He. The letter He represents Bina, the next one of these tensifi wrote. So whereas Yud is the seminal point, Bina, He is now fleshed out. It has length and breadth. And that's what Bina is. Bina is the fleshing out of an idea. They are respectively called the father and the mother. The father provides that first seed that has everything of the child in it. But then the mother then fleshes out the child so, so as to take this seminal point and it becomes to all its particulars. Bina is the place where the idea is worked out. That's where intellect is really active so the person can own the idea. So Chachma is about surrender, even though it's wisdom, but it's not so much our active engagement in intellect. It's about just being open to it. Bina is the place where the idea is fleshed out. This is the world of intellect. This corresponds to the world of Bria. So hey is Bina, it's the world of Bria, and that's the world of the intellect. Next is the letter Vav of Hashem's name. Vav has numerical value of six, and this is the world of the six. This is the letter that represents the six sifirot, the six midot, the six emotional faculties. The letter Vav, besides having the numerical value of six, is also shaped like a Vav, which is like a channel which brings from above to below. It channels the awareness and down until it becomes emotions. And this corresponds to the world of Yetzira, where Hashem's midot, his emotional faculties, are the dominant energy. And that is what channeled, is channeled to and radiates within the beings of that world. And the final letter of Hashem's na- name is the letter He, which the Zohar calls the He, Asa Kalila Delespa Meshasha, a light letter that has no stuff, substance. It's just that simple breath, which is the source of speech. And this corresponds to the Sephira of Malchus, sovereignty. Even though Malchus is as if one of the seven Midot, it's not really an emotion for itself. What it is, is that vessel that receives the thoughts, feelings, and awareness from above it, and then can channel it into speech. And that corresponds to our world, the world of Asiya. Now, we are finite beings, and every being is a finite being. Anything that has been created is finite. There's only one infinite being, and that is Hashem. In order for there to be a relationship between the finite and the infinite, it's going to have to be the infinite that bridges that gap. Whatever he radiates upon us becomes the channel through which we can connect with him. In that world of Yetzira, the world of emotions, Hashem radiates his six midot. The six midot of Hashem, the six emotional attributes, are what radiate in that world of Yetzira. Therefore, the beings of that world have only one way to connect with him, and that is through emotions. So those angels in the world of Yetzira connect with him through emotion. Their one-dimensional being is all about emotion, and whatever they understand only further fuels that emotion because that is what radiates of Hashem's name in that world. That is the only way they have to relate to the divine. Hashem has radiated his emotions there. He shines it upon the beings of that world. That's the only way they have to relate to him. In a higher world, in the world of Bria, 
Hashem's intellect shines. And therefore, the beings of that world have access to relating to him through intellect. So now the Altar is going to describe the difference between these worlds. I want to just read these lines briefly, and then we can speak about it more next time. The difference between Bria and Yetzirah is as follows. In Yetzirah, only the Midot of the Blessed Ainsof radiate, meaning only the Sefirot of Chesed, kindness, Gevura, severity, etc., meaning the love of him corresponding to Chesed, dread and fear of him corresponding to Gevura, and so on, with the other four Midot. So the main Midot are love and fear, and everything else is something of that mix. So the altar just references love and fear, and then there's another four Midot, and that is what radiates in the world of Yetzirah. Al-Tarba says, only the midot of the blessed Ein Sof radiate there. As is written in Tikkun Zohar and in Eitz Chaim, that the six sifirot, meaning the six midot from Chesed through Yusayid, nest pervade in the world of Yetzirah. So there's all these four worlds. The dominant energy of that world is whatever radiates from the divine name. What radiates in the divine of the divine name in Atzilus is the Yud. That is Chachma. What radiates of the divine name in the world of B, of Bria is He, which represents Bina. What radiates in the world of Yetzirah is the letter Vav, which represents the six emotional faculties. And what radiates in our world, which what we're not talking about right now, is the He, and that's Malchus. So the Alter is saying the main difference of each of these worlds is what radiates. Of Hashem's name. And whatever level you're in tune to, that's how things are going to be different for you. So here's a nice story of the great Hasidic master, Rabbi Yisrael of Ruzhin. When he was a young child learning in Cheder, they were look, learning the Talmud about what happens if a person loses count of the days. How do they observe Shabbat? So the Talmud says if somebody's lost in the desert, they count six days and they observe the seventh. And little Yisrael raised his hand and he said to his teacher, I don't understand. How does somebody not know when it's Shabbos? All they have to do is look up at the heavens. The heavens are different on that day. And this little child was in tune to higher realms. And so because he was, he was able to feel things differently. All these four worlds that we talk about are right here. You know, because we live in a physical world. So we think that everything is physical. And maybe if we just leave the confines of space, we can see these higher worlds, Yetzirah and then Bria and then Atzilas. No, they're all right here. And it's just, what do we have the antennas to tune into? Whatever radiates in that world of the divine name gives us the antennas, as it were, to tap into that energy. Now, being Jewish people who possess a divine soul, we actually have connection to each of these four worlds and beyond. But right now we're just talking in a regular conscious level and most human beings do not have access to these higher spiritual worlds as they are in a physical body. Angels are the natural beings of the world of Yetira, just like physicality is, is the natural uh, environment here. In the higher world of Yetira, the world of emotions, what's natural to that world are emotions, powerful emotions, all about Hashem, and that's because that's what's channeled to them from the divine. In a higher world than that, 
what's available to the beings is deep intellectual awareness of the divine because that's what radiates in that world. So let's summarize what we said until now. And that is, yes, animals are instinctive beings, but there are animals in a spiritual form and they are angels. These are powerful instinctive beings who serve Hashem with instinctive love and fear. Beautiful service. This comes to make, help us understand how valuable our service is if all we are able to tap into is natural instinctive love for Hashem. When we serve Hashem with natural instinctive love for Him, then we are on at least like the level of angels whose service is powerful and perfect. And if we're able to reach beyond that, and actually do create emotions, there are even, we are even way beyond them. So because the angels serve Hashem with instinctive love and fear, their place is in the world of Yetzirah, the world of emotions. They are in an instinctive world. But the abode of tzaddikim, of righteous people who served Hashem with freedom of choice, with intellect, they were able to create emotions through understanding about Hashem, when they complete their service, their soul rises to the world of Berea. That is the world of the intellect. That is not the world of angels. That's mainly the abode of tzaddikim. However, the altar qualifies. Yes, there are intellectual angels. They are extraordinary. And they do indeed exist in the world of Berea. Now, the altar started to describe to us what's the difference between the world of Yetzirah and the world of Berea. The world of Yetzirah is a world of emotions. That's where the... Only the emotions of the divine radiate, where the higher world than that, the world of Bria, the intellect of the supernal Sephirot radiate in that world. And I'm opening up for questions and discussion.